What do you do when you want to spice up your sex life? We usually start thinking about new positions, maybe travel to some exotic location with our spouse or lingerie, physical things. But what if the key to great sex was found in a completely different dimension? The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have an exciting podcast for you this week. This is episode 121, and today we're going to be talking about why emotional intimacy is the key to great sex and how to get there. Hey there. Before we get started, if you missed our previous episode, we discussed betrayal and infidelity. Our 30-day betrayal recovery devotionals are selling really well, and we've also been working on a betrayal recovery program to complement the devotionals and help couples recover their marriages. It's worth going back to and checking out if that's your situation. And also make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. So we've taken a little bit of a break from podcasting for a few months, but we are back. We are. And it's going to be the same approach in our shows. A lot of people did reach out to us asking if everything was okay. Which was really nice of them. Yeah, we appreciated that. Yeah, it felt good. And the truth is our marriage is just fine. But on the podcast side of things, it was just becoming too much of a drain emotionally and financially to keep producing week after week. Mm Mm-hmm. So you'll hear that we've adjusted our approach, and now we're much more explicit about asking you, our listener, to support us as we do this work. In our absence, we had many, many emails from folks talking about how the podcast is helping and and just moving their marriages forward, which we appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's just that when you have a ton of energy going towards something, you have nothing to bring back to the dinner table. A guy can only do that for so long, and, they, and then it gets pretty discouraging. Mm-hmm. But we've recharged, and we've shifted our call to action. You'll be hearing more about that partway through our show. And it may take us a month or two to get into the rhythm here, but we are planning on returning to the weekly shows. Yippers. This week, we're recording from Grand Isle, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So let's jump right in, Verlin, and talk about how emotional intimacy is the key to great sex. Okie dokie. What I'm going over in the research today actually will have a profound impact on the whole scope of a couple's married life. So, and we'll see that as we go through. So it's definitely going to be a pivotal topic for many couples who are listening. We have to talk about attachment. And I know that sounds like something to do with Velcro, but attachment in the science of relationships is simply about the love between two people, the love bond. Okay. It's almost like the scientific word for love. Okay. I I might be oversimplifying it there, but that's one way to look at it. So every time you hear me say attachment, just think love bond as we go through this so that this new term doesn't throw you off. But what we're going to see is that the quality and the nature of your attachment to your spouse has the largest impact on your sexual satisfaction. So if you're in a sexless marriage or you've had a lot of conflict about sex, it almost all comes back to this attachment issue. But I will say this, the exception would be if there's a genuine sexual disorder or like an erectile dysfunction or vaginismus or something like that, those might be related to physiological issues, but they might also find the root in other things like childhood sexual abuse. Like there can be a lot of causes back in there. So I don't want to oversimplify, Yeah. but I am saying that if you solve this attachment issue, 
you'll also have a safe place to talk about those other kinds of issues as well as many different things in your marriage. So this is a really core piece. Okay. Okay. So we're going to come at this from a couple directions. Now, when married couples are having sex, you can kind of distill everything into three patterns of sexual intercourse. Okay. And those three patterns are there's relationship-centered orientation. Like this is how, let me give them and then explain them. I think it'll make sense (laughs) as we go. Okay. Okay. So there's relationship-centered orientation towards intercourse. There's a worry-centered orientation. Mm -hmm. And there's a pleasure-centered orientation. So it's just, are we focusing on relationship, worry, or pleasure? When we're having sex. Yes. Okay. So the relationship-centered orientation, it reflects the individual's emotional and cognitive transactions, I'm quoting here, with the partner during intercourse. This pattern also includes feelings of being loved and esteemed by one's partner and the desire for the partner's involvement, as well as the sense of being the subject of love, i.e. feelings of love toward the partner and attentional and emotional focus on his or her needs and reactions. It's amazing how you can take something so amazing as sex and describe it like that, but that, yeah, it is actually helpful. It's just saying okay. that your mind and your heart are focused on your spouse. Well, that was a whole lot simpler. Yeah, okay. but you're also experiencing the same thing back as well. So it's mutual. Yeah, and there's esteem in there towards each other. You're giving love. You have desire. You're also experiencing love. You're the subject of love. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. And obviously, this is the ideal, healthy, whole person sex approach. The second kind is called worry-centered orientation. And this pattern, again, I'll quote, reflects people's negative reactions to heterosexual intercourse. This includes the personal vulnerability and sense of estrangement related to sexual activity, the negative and immoral meanings of the activity, the lack of the partner's sexual competence, the potential evidence of one's sexual inadequacy, along with the occurrence of interfering thoughts. So it's just, it's sex that's not going well. It's distracted. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of worry about, am I good enough? You know, is my spouse good enough? There's interfering thoughts like the laundry and the bills that you haven't paid and whatever that might be. There's some estrangement from your spouse during this. So this can, this includes all sorts of dysfunctional or just bad nights too, for even for functional couples. Okay. You know what I mean? Like where where life just invades and we're, we're worried about stuff and we're not really there in the relationship even though we're having sex. So okay. it's it's my body is here, but my brain is not kind of sex. Okay. Or if you're very kind of lost in self-consciousness, like you're so self-absorbed with like, am I doing this right? How do I look? How does he think I look? And instead of being, it's about worry. Yeah. So it's worry-centered orientation, okay? Yeah. It's not engaged. Now, the third one is pleasure-centered, and this reflects the orgasmic cycle of excitement, pleasure, relief, and then satisfaction which are accompanied by a sense of power and strength and two complementary states of mind. There's a cognitive emotional dissociation from the environment and there's a focused attention on reaching the orgasm. So this is all about the physical feeling of the intercourse. And so there's a a mental and a heart dissociation, like a step back. No, no, for the physical, but from your spouse. So your mind and heart are not engaged toward your spouse. You're just very involved with crossing the finish line i like it's a it's all about achieving the orgasm okay okay well that's what i'm meaning like your heart and your mind are separated from the pleasure like yes the, okay the relationship I, part of was yeah your heart and mind that's I don't right know. okay so it's just very absorbed in the physical sensations okay there's no real person-to-person connection that's that okay. kind okay now men and women all fall into one of these three experiences every time Sex happens, okay? Okay. But there are gender differences in how much of each they experience and what they're looking for. So women 
demonstrated higher relational orientation. That was the first one, the healthy one, hmm. in their description of, of sexual intercourse. And the researchers also say that women's experience of heterosexual intercourse was more ambivalent in nature in comparison with men's experience. In that women compared with men experienced more disappointment with their spouse along with worries and interfering thoughts. Okay. So it didn't always go well, even though they were wanting it for the right reasons. Relationship. Okay. Okay. Now, while women are more concerned about getting more love from their spouse during heterosexual intercourse, the men were more concerned about getting more sexual variety. And this is where we have a problem because they're basically saying that women fluctuate between a worried orientation and a relationship orientation. Yeah. Right. And men tend to see it from a pleasure orientation. We're all heading towards the orgasm, right? Yeah. And so there's a misalignment here. And this is why so many couples aren't experiencing deeply satisfying sexual intimacy. Because of that misalignment. That misalignment. No. Okay. So there's some definite social influences here. And let's talk about that for a moment. But we do need to go to the emotional side because that's where we start to solve these things. So I want to just challenge these social things because look at your own experiences or your perspectives on sex. And I want to particularly challenge the men here since we have this pleasure orientation. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a huge problem here in that we're socialized to believe that we need to release. And we're also socialized with this idea that the best sex happens with the most ideal female body type. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And we need to think through both of these carefully, right? So if it's about the release... And if I can just be blunt about this, what's the difference between using your hand for that and using your wife? Okay. If it's just about crossing just the finish tool. line, right? Yeah. And again, obviously a wife is more attractive than nothing or should be. But if it's just about the physical side, you know, we'll get into that in a moment, right? Okay. So the thing is, when we just focus on crossing the finish line, we forget the fact that we're having sex with a person. Right. Right. Okay. So we need to not think about this as something that just for a release, but as a way to connect more deeply with our wife. And when the orgasm comes, it's not because we've crossed a line, but because we've experienced the pinnacle of human connection with a very precious, singular person, hmm. your wife, who gets to see you and know you and experience you in a way that nobody else does. And so afterwards, you don't just roll over and go to sleep. You hold her, you affirm her beauty, you continue to enjoy her presence. So That's it's beautiful. a connection. Thank you. And on the other part about the physical appearance, right? I think that a lot of our wives, it sounds like I have multiple wives in China. <laughs> <laughs> That's another problem. But a lot of the worry-centered orientation that wives experience come from insecurities about body image, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's another cultural... Yes. Yeah. But I think that a lot of those are prompted by a worldview that says the best kind of sex happens with the perfectly endowed female, mm, right? Okay. And this could go both ways. Like woman could think yeah. this of men, right? Like mm-hmm. Brad Pitt's the man. You know what I mean? He is. The sexiest man in the world or whatever. But think about okay, this. Well, that just aged you because that was like... 10 years ago. 20 years ago when <laughs> I was a teenager. <laughs> oh boy. Sorry. I'm going to keep moving in particular. <laughs> so just think this idea through though, right? That the ideal body type produces the ideal sex. Okay. That's the theory. That's the belief. Belief. The mistaken okay. belief. Okay. Maybe there's 1 million men with, you know, air quote here, perfect bodies. And maybe there's 1 million women with air quote, perfect bodies. Okay. okay. So it begs the question, what are the other 7.399 billion people in the world condemned to then? If those are the only people that are going to have the best the experience, best. Yeah. what does it mean for the rest of us, right? Mm. The rest of you. <laughs> Oops. So just think about this. I'm going to, I'm going to keep moving here. <laughs> So would God really, 
I think I'm going to be staying up late tonight discussing some things <laughs> after this podcast. But think about this here. Would God really design us like that? Where only certain people can... Yeah, because they have the perfect looks, right? And so it's there's not... this small bunch of... Yeah, no. Right. No. So it's not about that. It's not no. about whether you are in that one million or not. It's about, you know, what does this mean for us as a couple as we age? How many 70-year-olds do you see on the cover of glossy magazines? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean for us as an older couple? And yet we're told by these older couples that sex gets better as you get older. And so while we're in our marriages, we need to be very cautious about the messages we're sending each other around physical attributes. Mm-hmm. So that we're undermining these mistaken worldviews that come from the outside. And we need to be praying that God will keep shaping our own thinking and our own affection to see our spouses as the most beautiful person that we know. That's just lovely. Thank you. Rant off. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. So so we got to watch the worldviews because these things can impact our intimacy in a huge way, right? Yeah. And the beliefs that come from that. Now, Now, let's go back on topic here. Sidebar. Why do men and women experience sex differently? So I want to think about attachment. Remember, attachment's about the love bond, okay? And, and there's three main styles of attachment here, and this will tie this all together in a moment. So there's avoidant attachment, which reflects the extent to which a person distrusts a relationship partner's goodwill and strives to maintain behavioral independence and relies on deactivating strategies for dealing with relational threats. That's the definition. Uh-huh. So in English, in avoidant English, attachment is? It's... It's the approach to your spouse where you generally distrust that they're coming at you for good reasons or to you for good reasons. It's more like, you know. So you're not trying to avoid the relationship. You just don't trust the other party. Yeah, but it leads to avoidance. So it would be kind of like this. If I started rubbing your shoulders and you're like, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Not that that's ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) But this is a constant pattern. Okay. 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 So this becomes a, a way of the love being expressed inside the relationship or being expressed in a broken way. So it's avoided in the sense that you don't have the belief that they're coming at you with goodwill, that I would rub your shoulders because they actually care about you and I just want to rub your shoulders to make you feel better. Oh, it's more okay. like there's, there's a catch or there's something wrong with this approach, okay. this connection, right? And, and because of that, when you have this avoidant attachment style, you try to maintain behavioral independence. So you're really kind of in the marriage, but you're, you're keeping yourself kind of in your own silo. Oh, and that's where the avoidant comes yep. in. Okay. And the deactivating strategies is about kind of turning things off and stepping back. So you're avoiding and you're coming back away from your spouse. Okay. So avoidant attachment, if you're in a marriage and you feel like your spouse always has their hand up with their palm facing you, like mm-hmm. stop, mm-hmm. that's an avoidant attachment style that you're experiencing. Oh, now there's also okay. anxious attachment, which quote again, reflects a degree to which a person worries that the partner will not be available to them in times of need and thereby hyperactivates cognitions and behaviors in an attempt to secure such availability. So the anxious person is never certain. So they work 20 times as hard mm-hmm. to make sure you're going to be for, there for them when you need them. So okay, this is a, okay. this looks like needy or clingy Yeah. in, like in sort of lay terms. So is the constant anxiety. Like I okay. can't rest in the certainty that you're there for me. So I'm always going to double check and be sure. And wow. Okay. Yeah. And then the healthy model is secure attachment, which is, Anxiety is low, avoidance is low, and there's comfort and there's closeness and there's faith in your spouse. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, we kind of got to cross these three things over into a grid with the other three things. Oh, this should be easy. Yeah. Just by people listening. So there's avoidant, there's anxious, and there's secure. And there's three patterns of sexuality that we talked about earlier. There's the Mm relationship-centered, which is the healthy one, the Mm worry-centered. Do I look good enough? Yeah. Am I doing okay? And there's pleasure-centered, like let's just cross the finish line here. 
Just all about okay. pleasure. Okay. Now, let's go to relationship-centered sex. So this is the healthy one. If there is anxious attachment yeah. at play, remember anxious is I'm not certain. Yeah. Then you will experience lower feelings of being loved and a higher desire for partner involvement during sexual intercourse. So the neediness it comes out in like, I really need you to be working hard when we're having sex. Okay. At its extreme, you're using sex to reassure yourself of the love bond. It can look very needy. It can be sort of this never satisfying mm -hmm. thing. And if your spouse has ever said something like they feel like they can just never meet your level of needs, it's, or that they'll get lost in you, like they'll get sucked in, like it's oh, okay. overwhelmed. Yeah. You may have attachment, anxious attachment impacting your intercourse. Okay. So it's the, it's the like, I need you to work 10 times as hard in sex too, to assure me that the bond between us is okay. 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 Now let's go to avoidant in the same context. Of relationship centered. Yeah. Okay. So these are lower feelings of being loved and of love toward your spouse. There's less focus on how your spouse is doing. It feels more like disconnected because it's avoidant sex. Like I'm here and we're doing this, but I'm avoiding. I'm not fully present. Not I'm not fully oh, engaged. Okay. Okay. You're doing it. You're not really making the connection. Okay. Usually in that situation, something in a person's childhood has told them it wasn't safe to be very close to the most important people in your life. So even in this very intimate situation, that sense of I need to stay safe and hold back is still present. Oh, just keeping that piece yeah. of them safe. Yeah. Okay. Now think about worry-centered sex, which is I'm worried about how it's going. How do I look? All this stuff, right? right? If there's higher anxiety and there's higher avoidance, there's more aversive feelings to sex like about you just sex. just don't want to have it. No. Right. Okay. If you distrust your spouse or you're worried about whether they're really available, it's going to compound your feelings in an activity as intimate as sex. It just makes it feel stronger. So you'll, you'll have more of an aversion. Right. Because you got worry on top sense. of anxiety or you got worry on top of avoiding. And if that's what you're thinking about, like it's not a During, pleasant experience. No. And then think about pleasure-centered sex now with these other two things. Alrighty. And this one's kind of interesting. The higher the attachment anxiety, right? So the more anxious the you are yeah. about whether this love bond is strong. Yeah. The stronger you are, the more likely you are to let go in your kind of mind. And the more you're going to focus on your own needs during intercourse. Oh. And so this could look, I think, one of two ways. It could look very much like selfish sex, mm -hmm. like self-absorbed. Because yeah. I'm just you know, it's all about what's happening for, for myself. Yeah. Or it could actually look potentially like very hot sex. Like you went completely off the charts on that one because the anxiety is feeling this, like it's going to be like so like needy and towards and it's very pleasure centered. You're frowning okay. at me. I'm not understanding not how that, that can look like hot sex, but. It may be like, would the word frantic work better? Okay. Because I mean, desperation on top of pleasure can you kind of see how those that would look? Okay. Yeah. Is that making any sense? Yeah. Yeah, that is. But the connection's not there, even though the pleasure might be impressive. Now... It's just all for the pleasure. Yes. And okay. what happens when anxiety is playing a role in this is that it becomes an amplifier. So the sex either got really good or really bad. Oh. And it was probably that people experienced something of each going through their marriage, right? Yeah. On the avoidant side... Okay, so now we're back to avoidant. <laughs> okay. As the attachment. It's about the love bond, the connection. Yeah. We're avoiding, we're distancing. Yeah. And we're in the pleasure centered area. Okay. <laughs> okay. This means it works against you. So where the other one was an amplifier, this is more like a mute button. It's like a wet blanket. 
Oh. So the pleasure-related feelings are going to be weaker. There's more of each spouse focusing on their own needs. So these two people are doing it together alone. Oh. So I don't think anybody's going to leave feeling terribly satisfied. No. And because that, like I said, it becomes a wet blanket. It mutes the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So the bottom line here is that attachment issues are going to have a negative impact on sexual intercourse. So this is why we're saying that emotional intimacy is the key to great sex. Because when that piece is not present, you may have fireworks sometimes, but I don't think there's any way you're going to be able to say you have a thriving, passionate sex life. Like it's consistently enjoyable, right? Right. Okay. So on that note, uh, once again, as we've done previously, we've created a bonus guide for our much appreciated supporters. So if you're listening and you're like, wow, my spouse and I need to talk about this, then you need this guide that we've made up. It's about creating a safe place for you to talk about sex in your marriage. And we show you how to do that in this guide. And then we give you the questions that you need to talk through in order to start having the conversations you've been avoiding Mm -hmm. or maybe afraid to have. So you can get this by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. And we'll just take a quick 60 second break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day to day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. And before the break, we were talking about how these attachment issues impact your sex life. And now what we want to do is we want to talk about what secure attachment looks like and how to improve your relational attachment, how you can make it secure in order to improve your sex life. So this is how we can kind of start to move through some of the issues and find our way out of them. All right. Okay, so all ears. Remember that we're aiming to create emotional intimacy in order to improve our sexual intimacy yeah. in our marriage. Yeah. So to create emotional intimacy, you have to have safety. Agreed. And obviously you don't share your most, you know, private emotional parts or even private physical parts with people <clears throat> who aren't safe. Right? Yeah. Those two things kind of line up. So secure yeah. attachment is about and just listen very carefully to some of the language that I use here. It's about creating a safe haven in the marriage, which is a place where the strength of your relationship buffers against the stress and uncertainties of life. Right. So a safe haven is something you come back to. It's also about a secure base. And this is the place from which you can explore and adaptively respond to the world around you. So where a safe haven is something you come back to, a safe base is something you go out of. Go out from. Yes. Yeah. So you can try new things then, or as you're confronted with new challenges, you always have this secure place to come back to. But it's also more than it's a place where in the marriage, you can stand back and reflect on yourself and also your spouse's state of mind. You can think about how we're doing. It's safe to do that. Yeah. So it becomes okay to explore who you are and how you're relating. And this in turn enables greater emotional risk taking so that you can reach out to your spouse empathically and you can also provide support for other people. Like it becomes this living, thriving entity. Okay. It also enables you to cope better with conflict and stress that comes in life, Mm -hmm. regardless of how great your marriage is. And it fosters autonomy, which is 
this ironic thing we've talked about elsewhere, where the more connected you are to your spouse, the more separate and different you can be. Right. Yes. Right. Because we don't, we don't have this needy thing where we need to be like each other in order to make sure that we're okay. okay. It's like, we're okay. okay. So then we can explore our, ourselves yep. independently as well as together. So secure relationships tend to be happier, more stable and more satisfying because all these parts work together for good. All right. That's, this is research from 2010. So there's all these great benefits for Linda, but think about this in terms of married sex. So remember this secure attachment leads to a relationship where you can communicate more openly. Mm-hmm. You can assert your needs more easily. Mm-hmm. You can be more empathic and responsive to your spouse and you can explore physical and emotional closeness in and out of the bedroom. Okay. So that's why we call this emotional intimacy is the key to great sex because it's actually secure attachment that's the key, but nobody knows what that means. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so think of it in the context of emotional intimacy, right? Okay. Because what's really cool is when you start to figure this out, you end up creating a positive cycle in your marriage between the sex and this bond, the, the love bond, right? The attachment. So mm-hmm. the stronger the attachment, the stronger the bond, the more satisfying the sexual experience becomes. And the more satisfying the sex becomes, the stronger the bond is built over time because it reinforces Ooh. it, right? That yeah. we connect so well together. Uh, To quote the researchers, satisfying sexual encounters strengthen the couple's bond and a more secure bond continues to build more erotic and more satisfying sex. Okay. Make sense? Yep. Now, there's a very cliched view of marriage that says that passion deteriorates within long-term marriages. But the research that we're talking about today shows just the opposite. And what I love is that it affirms what we already know to be true from the biblical values around marriage. Mm -hmm. Long-term monogamy is the best way to go sexually, relationally, emotionally, and so on. So single people, unmarried people, they're not having better sex than married people who create thriving, passionate marriages. So don't buy the lie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just to to give us like, I always kind of wonder about this question. So that's great. Like, but what do you do on Monday when you're trying to make it happen? Right. Monday. Okay. Monday's like the first day of the week. Like where the rubber meets the road. Yes. Okay. So let's, let's go into So what do we do on Monday? (laughs) There's a process here, seven steps. Okay. Okay. And my suggestion is, is get the worksheet that we offer to our patrons as you're going to, like, you're going to have to have some conversations here if you need to work on this. Right. And if you're getting stuck again, just feel free to reach out to me so we can set up some counseling just to make sure we get this right, because this is important stuff. But the first step is figure out where you fall on that whole attachment, insecurity, avoidance, or anxiety spectrum. Like, is it more avoidant? Is it more anxious? This is you yourself or you yourself, a couple, your sexual. Each of you. Okay. Each of you ideally, right? Okay. And, or maybe it's secure even, but you've been had the wrong orientation. Like you've been worry centered or, or pleasure centered instead of relationship centered, right? Yeah. But first of all, on that whole attachment side of things, avoidant, anxious, or secure, try to understand your default position and how this is problematic in your sexual patterns and scripts that you go through with your spouse. Cause we all have ways of initiating sex, right? And are we initiating that from an avoidance stance, an anxious stance or a secure stance where like ideally the secure stance is we're open, we can talk, we can ask for needs to be met, right? So you're okay. not coming out of desperation or obligation, but it's coming out of health and joy towards each other. Second thing is you need to literally create an agreement with your spouse. If this is something you guys are going to work on, that emotional safety is going to become the foundation for a new level of sexual openness and responsiveness. Emotional safety is so uh, critical. You know, typically when I see couples that are distressed, the wife is holding back physically because the emotional connection isn't there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So 
if the wife, if you want to lead on this, you might say, I'm going to open myself to you sexually in exchange for you opening yourself to me emotionally. And we're going to move forwards together. Yeah. And let's not have a big battle about who's going first. Let's just both agree we're going to figure this out. Vice versa, the husband might say, you know what? I realize I haven't been giving myself to you emotionally. I've just been demanding things from you. So I'm going to open myself and try to learn this vulnerability thing and talk about feelings, which is all new to me. And Mm -hmm. I'm just asking you to try to come back towards me physically as well till we we find the right balance. Yeah. So I'm just saying it shouldn't be one-sided and it needs to be safe. You have to agree that you're going to be safe with each other and kind to each other. Yeah. I think balance is a balance is big, good yeah. word there. Yeah. So now third one, you have the safety agreement in place. Next, you need to explore the negative cycles of your sexual interactions, which means how do anxiety and avoidance play into your sex life together? And this is, so the first two you might've done, or the first one you've done by yourself, this is where you start talking about this together. As you discuss this, you must agree and adhere to the safety during conversations. So there's no put downs, Mm-hmm. No snide remarks, no unkind yeah. or embarrassing remarks. The utmost of respect and care is called for, or you will set yourself back every time. Right. Yeah. Fourth, next, you want to think about the emotions linked to your problematic sexual patterns. And this is personal work, not so much with your spouse at this point. Think about how the emotions tie back to the attachment needs that are present that we talked about earlier. So for example, maybe you feel sadness around your sexuality because of fears of rejection and abandonment, because it's a very vulnerable thing. Yeah. And you're most susceptible to rejection and abandonment in that, in that context, right? Or maybe you feel shame or fear due to the belief that you're inadequate or unacceptable. Maybe you feel shame because you were taught that this is bad or dirty, right? Yeah. But these things could actually be related back to an anxious attachment style where you're working very hard to compensate for these very real fears that are stampeding through your head while you're having sex. Okay. So this is just saying, yeah, we've got these kind of styles and these attachments and things, but let's Mm -hmm. talk about your feelings and emotions now and how does this play in? Because what you're feeling emotionally while you're trying to have sex... Is so important, right? Because emotional intimacy yeah. is the key to create sex. Yeah. So you have to understand those feelings. And from that place of understanding and beginning to see those things, then number five, you want to disclose those sexual feelings and fears and needs to one another. And again, this has to be a safe environment. So you want to start sharing right. this. It's scary. And you know what, Caleb? I think this safe environment thing, though, like it's something you need to be so conscious of creating mm-hmm. because... I'm sure there's people out there like me, pity the people. But when you get a little bit nervous mm-hmm. because you're uncomfortable in a situation, you start to make jokes mm-hmm. just to kind of relieve the tension. Yeah. But this is not the place no. to make those sarcastic. Yeah. yeah. This, yeah. You want to just be really present and hear each other. Because the other party is just as uncomfortable yep. and is going to be extra sensitive. Extra sensitive. Exactly. Yes. yes. Okay. Number six is respond, which kind of ties to what you're saying, right? You have to do something with the information that your spouse gives you. Yes. And you need to do the right thing. Yes. If you're actually not sure what to do mm-hmm. in response to what they gave you, you could ask them. What should I do with that? Yeah. Or what did you want me to yeah. do with that? Huh. You can agree that this is going to be a period of exploration, of experimenting, of discovery, of learning emotionally, yeah. right? As well as physically. And and I think part of this too is managing your own expectations because you're going to stumble and fall because this is about exploring and fumbling your way through this and figuring right. it out. Yeah. But now you have to take these emotional realities and figure out how you can support your spouse during their moments of expressed vulnerability and during the moments when they're feeling weak or they're running into themselves or they're confronted with these things, right? So for example, mm. let's, say, let's say your wife has 
struggles with an anxious attachment style, right? Mm -hmm. And you've been pursuing sex from a pleasure-oriented approach, okay. right? And and you want to try to experience something different or new there that's mm -hmm. more wholesome. So she may express to you feelings of just being used and not really heard or seen or felt. Yeah. Okay. And and she may have asked you before and made comments about just wanting to be held after sex. Mm -hmm. Now think about how slowing down after, even after you're done having sex, how you can hold her and affirm her and just express your acceptance of her in those really tender moments when your bodies are awash in all the wonderful biochemistry that comes with intercourse. Mm -hmm. And you can deepen that love bond because you actually have all those biochemicals working for you to help yeah, with this point. too, right? Yeah. yeah. So these are ways that you can respond now to the information that you have and you can kind of step up to the plate for your spouse and build each other up and, and your intimacy becomes a place of healing as well. Hmm. Make sense? Yeah. So does. whatever those needs are and how it's understanding how they tie to the physical interaction and then making connections in a way that builds each other up. Yeah. So the researchers concluded, and I think this is pretty helpful, they concluded with suggesting a model of sexuality that should be embraced. And it's a very poignant summary that I'll share and I'll share it slowly so you can think it through. And I'm going to quote here. This is actually... An understandable quote? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you understand it. Okay. This is the model. It is seen as an erotic exploration and play. Okay. Okay, so far. Mm -hmm. As a safe adventure in okay. which... What is it? Sex. Oh, okay. As a safe adventure in which erotic excitement comes from the ever new moment-to-moment -moment engagement with an accessible partner... Okay. It means someone you can connect to is there. Yeah. They're not just lost in themselves or avoiding, right? Oh, okay. It's a model that suggests that practice and emotional practice make perfect rather than the cliche view that passion and long-term attachment are antithetical. Okay. I was doing well till the last word. Antithetical or um, opposing each other. Passion and long-term attachment. Um, that oh, our, okay. Sex our is meant to get more boring as you get older. It undoes okay. that idea. Okay. Because... It, the, the more you practice and emotionally practice. Better it gets. Yes. Got it. So I think that's a good point to close off on. And obviously, as we're talking about the issue and just for me to, uh, helping expectations for our listeners, this is not a one conversation solution. Like you guys can have a chat one evening yeah. by the fireside and you've got this, right? It's yeah. this ongoing thing. You're committing to a journey together. It's going to take time and practice. But the cool thing is that you never arrive. It's a constant, lifelong unfolding and unmasking and undressing of one another as you grow closer and closer together mm -hmm. in so many different dimensions. But I'm just thinking what a great journey to be on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like this combination erotic emotional quest and it's one that God has designed for mutual blessing and growth and pleasure. Like he's all behind this. Mm -hmm. So you have his support too, to mm -hmm. grow in this in your marriage. So one thing that we didn't touch on here, yeah. but we've touched on, on other podcasts is that like you don't hit it out of the park every single time. Oh, yeah. In terms of intercourse. Happily, yeah. Even happily married folks don't have awesome sex every time. Exactly. But the um But that I what I'm why I'm bringing that up is it's not like you've failed if it's not Right. You don't, know. Yeah, don't give up if the 10 out of 10 every single time. Yes. The chart should still be going up. Yeah, look for a trajectory. Yeah. Not a trajectory, a trend. Trend. There you go. <laughs> All right. Cool. I just realized I haven't put in the stuff for the end here. 
So thank you. There's been a number of you that have written us and a number of you have left us iTunes reviews and we're going to catch up on those in coming episodes. But today uh, we talked for a little bit longer, so we're going to wrap it up here. Next week, we're talking about bottling up stuff in your marriage and why that's a bad idea and how to get yourself out of that situation if you find yourself in it. Mm -hmm. Just shake the bottle and take the lid off. Uh, (laughs) Now you know why I'm a therapist. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, that's all for today's episode. The voice lawyers will appreciate what you just said there. (laughs) You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 121121 if you want to read up on this. To find out how you can help us with our podcast, go to oif.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next week or the week after, depending how things go. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever. That's all for six weeks. Uh, six, six weeks. Six weeks. <laughs> Sex week. <laughs>